Hello and welcome to the Good Fundraising Podcast, where we bring together nonprofit thought leaders and change makers to talk about what's good in fundraising and what could be better. I'm your host, Alicia Mullenstein. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today, I am delighted for our second episode to introduce Nick Ellinger to talk about donor-centric fundraising. Nick is the Chief Brand Officer at Moore. He's been the VP of Marketing Strategy at Donor Voice and spent 13 years at Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You may also know Nick as the voice behind The Agitator for many years. Nick has a new book called The New Nonprofit, Six Models to Raise More Money, and we're going to talk to him today about donor-centric fundraising. I have read the book. It is dog-eared and underlined beyond belief, as all good books should be, so I'm really excited to bring this conversation with Nick for you today. Hi, Nick, and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about donor-centric fundraising and for being our very first guest. How are you? I'm well, thanks. So Nick, your book is the new nonprofit, Six Models to Raise More Money, and it just came out last year. You said in the book that uh, to make, basically nonprofits need to make their donors love them and no good love story happens without mutual consent. That line <laughs> is so perfect for our times. Um, and I'd love to just hear from you, you know, how do you define donor-centric fundraising? Because I feel like so many of us talk a good game about it and every organization loves to tout that they do it. But when push comes to shove, we're really not. Um, and I, I will fess up that there were a couple times in reading what you wrote that I felt in the pit of my stomach. Ooh, I think I've done that to my donors before. So <laughs> maybe we can talk a little bit about what, what makes donor centric fundraising. Why aren't more of us doing it? I'll, I'll confess that most of the things that, uh, are in the book are probably things that I've done to donors as well. And so uh, part of part of the writing process is a penance for it. Um, but the I think we've gotten into our culture, or at least in our talking points, the the first step in donor centricity. We, we've had beat into our heads that, we want to focus on the donor in our communication, that you focus, that it's not about the organization, that it's about you. And the more that you can put you in there, uh, the better off you'll be. And that's a big step forward. Um, but it is only one step forward. And so as we're talking to you, the donor, it's acknowledging that there are ways that you are unlike some other donors. You know, you are a parent, so another donor is not a parent. You uh, come to the mission because you have the disease. Some other people donate in, uh, be because they don't want to get the disease. Um, you are a, uh, you adopted a uh, dog or a cat from a shelter and someone else hasn't had that experience. Those things make donors different. And there are some of those things that make donors different enough that you want to change the way that you talk to that donor. So uh, a very simple example, uh, in a test for Make-A-Wish, um, we got a 42% increase in click-through rate advertising to medical professionals by adding the phrase, as a medical professional, to the beginning of the ad. That was it. No other copy was changed, but in that moment, they felt seen they understood the context that you're putting that person in. I'm putting my doctor or nurse hat 
on at that point. And I say, oh, this is the type of thing that doctors or nurses do. And so every step that we can take toward that type of customization, not just an in-out segmentation, but a real customization of our message to different types of donors, the better off we'll be and the more focused on donors that will be. That's so interesting. Yeah, you mentioned it was personal, relevant, and anticipated. And so in that example, I can imagine Make-A-Wish already had that information either on their record about constituents or they were actively modeling for it. This was actually a test that we did in acquisition to just the Facebook interest categories, which we know are all a little suspect in and of themselves. But um, just the idea of advertising to a doctor on Facebook as a doctor, um, you can bring in more of them. And the trick is, uh, just like you said, once you have personalized the experience, there's no, it is, uh, it's a, uh, at least a venal and possibly a cardinal sin to go back. So once you've acquired someone as a medical professional, you've acknowledged that that's something that carries through. And so with some of our acquisition techniques, you do a great job of acquiring in a certain way but then that isn't carried through. So in the canvassing process, mm -hmm. uh, back in the before times when you could do face-to-face -face fundraising, you would have this great conversation with the, uh, uh, usually a young person recruiting you to the organization. Yes, I'm a monthly donor. And here are all the reasons why I love this organization. That's great. Can you sign on the line that is dotted? And then a month later, two months later, three months later, you get the same package as everyone else. And we've had this collective forgetting of that great conversation, that great experience, and the donor forgets why they gave. And so that personal, relevant, anticipated experience, I, this is what I signed up for. It's about me and the updates that I'm getting belong to my life and fit in with other things that I'm doing is that basis of, um, I mean, that's the old Seth Godin permission marketing, but just brought forward to the nonprofit sphere. So, I mean, there's a lot of, I, my brain can instantly go to the barriers for doing something like that and carrying that through stream through. And I'm sure a lot of other nonprofits can too. I'm just thinking of the backend machinery that's needed to support that kind of ongoing, what it feels like one-to-one -one is probably a one-to-many, but a smaller many than we're used to dealing with type of marketing. I mean, there's database configurations, there's data integrity, um, there's print production, and, and timelines for campaigns. Um, I mean, what are, I guess, what are some baby steps to get into donor-centric fundraising that are lower barriers so that you can begin to, you know, build that muscle to be able to do it well on a more regular basis? I would say the big start is to go from one to two. So um, if you have a communication or a set of communications that's going out to all donors or all donors that fit into these RFM segments that are undifferentiated by anything other than when and how much and how often you last gave. If you can say, I'm going to change this communication for one set of donors that is about that donor not necessarily about how they've interacted with you. That's the, that is 
the key step. That's the first step in a thousand mile journey. Once you can get to two segments, you work through all the logistics, you have a database flag for it, you um, have run all of your traps. And now you say in our communication, we're going to have this one line that changes. That's a huge step because as you said, there's a whole bunch of logistics that go into that. And that's also part of the proving process. So let's say you're at a disease organization and your segmentation, your, your primary thing is going to be have the disease, don't have the disease. And uh, half of your file does, half of your file doesn't. That's a perfect segmentation point. That's something that is incredibly relevant to the donor. It's relevant to their experience with you. And it's something that they likely expect that you know. And so learning that and playing that back, changing the communication for just that one thing will create more loyalty for, from that person to you and greater satisfaction from them for their giving. So they're more likely to do it again. You had mentioned that the wins from doing this kind of marketing are better done when it's truly voluntary and when your back is not up against a wall as an industry, like with GDPR, that when yeah. when it feels obligatory, the impact of it's going to be less. So I, I guess my question is like, do you, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but it's probably only a matter of time before these type of restrictions come in. And so the time to start was probably as we said earlier in our conversation, 20 years ago, planting that tree, the second best time to start for that would probably be now. And the good news to that is that there is, there's a wealth of opportunity in getting people to engage in that voluntary relationship with your organization. So many nonprofits have so much information um, that they want to be able to share with the public. People in different identity groups have information that they want that can be best served by a nonprofit. So if you can get those two to match up, you have this profitable relationship by which the person says, yes, educate me. I need help with this, or my friend needs help with this. You have the best resources for that. The nonprofit gets the person's contact information, starts building a relationship with them. And that then is a person that other organizations may not necessarily know about. Part of the challenge of and raising money right now and getting donors right now is we are largely pitching, uh, we are largely fishing in the same ponds. Um, Co-op folks will tell you um, that if they get a new list, 98 probably more percent of the people on that list will already be in the co-op as an all someone who's already given. So there's a vanishingly small segment of people that each organization is bringing to the table. And as our donor numbers go down, down, down from 2005 on to present day and unfortunately continuing, we're going to need to bring new people into philanthropy. And so that means getting people who care about our organization to give instead of get it, give it, getting people who give to other organizations to care about ours. It's flipping that relationship. And that's hard to do, but it's best done in that permission marketing landscape. So if you have permission on the front end, you can get the donor. 
And the key to what you said about we don't want to do it when the gun is to our head is legislators don't know our world. Um, you know, in Congress, there are hundreds of lawyers and number of doctors and um, celebrities of all type. But in the last job breakdown that I saw, none of them have ever run a nonprofit. And so we, yes, we have a job to educate legislators about that. And that's the role of uh, our, um, our organizations and uh, our associations that we belong to. But it also means that we are best figuring out our own stuff before that stuff is figured. Um, but we can get ahead of that by creating relationships with our donors that are based on that. And don't go, I would say, some organizations in the UK reacted to GDPR and they said, if you don't check this box, even though you've been giving us to us through the mail for 20 years, we can't talk to you anymore. That's not the basis of any sort of uh, donor relationship that you should be having. And if you start with an opt-out regime right now, where people tell you what channels they'd like to be in, tell you the types of frequencies they want to be hear from you, chances are you won't be forced to go to that realm. That's a great point. I mean, the idea that we're you know fishing in the same pond for donors, um, I can't help but think about the Giving Tuesday that we all just went through, the unexpected Christmas in May Giving Tuesday event. And I, I struggle with Giving Tuesday personally. I have some thoughts about how we're talking about donors, about philanthropy, just putting all the pressure on this one day for people to give. Um, and you had it in the book too, the list of headlines that you got from a hundred organizations back in the December Giving Tuesday. And I saw so many of those headlines again that we're just, um, you know, going after Giving Tuesday, like you'd always go after Giving Tuesday. And I'm kind of curious if you, you know, look at that particular event through the lens of donor-centric fundraising, how would you talk to your donors on a day like that? Or would you even, would, could you even ignore the day and just continue talking to your donors because it's based on relationship, not an arbitrary giving day? I suppose you could ignore the day. I would say that part of the challenge with the the kind of sea of sameness that emails and communications come out for something like Giving Tuesday or matches or things like that, is that you can swap out on some of them, the names of the organizations and the communications look the same. Mm -hmm. They're about the when. And there's nothing inherently wrong with being about the when, but if it's about the when, that person's always going to give because of the when. If you can make your communication about the when and the why, then that's someone that is translatable. And I would say that giving Tuesday donors and perhaps folks who are like disaster donors, there's this great opportunity because days that we come together and the world is thinking about nonprofits, you know, we have two days this year, the other 364 days are going to belong to for profits, but these are our two. And if people make a gift, their first gift during that time, it's now incumbent upon us to make sure they have a good experience, to make sure that they're connecting with the organization, and to turn that person into a giver in the noun sense, not just someone who gave, and to make it part of their identity. Giving Tuesday, Giving Tuesday Now, 
if they get people into the idea of giving, that's great. The thing that that is incumbent upon us then is to make sure that that spirit is continued with throughout the year. And that if someone new comes into giving, that we make it an experience that they want to repeat and make core to themselves and make core to our organization. It may be that someone's giving to an organization they believe in for the first time, and it's the only organization they've ever given to, they ever considered giving to. That is the perfect donor for that organization. There are so few of those people. Most people are give to a lot of organizations. And so how do we honor that? And how do we make sure that the reason that that person is giving continues through their relationship with us? Yeah, that's a great point. I'm, I'm make, it's making me think about the canvassing donors you know, that we acquired um, in a past life and how different they were from the rest of the file. Um, you know, these were people who hadn't necessarily given to a ton of charities before. They weren't showing up on our radar with the lists. Um, they literally had to run into someone on the street to be motivated to give, but it worked for them. And we spent a lot of time and effort reinforcing that decision for them in a way that because they were the outliers, we really spent a ton of time making sure that they knew who we were, that they felt great about that their decision. There was tons of positive reinforcement. And if you think about this pond that we're all fishing from on as being a real challenge, it's it's now thinking about exactly what you're talking about for the new people that we're bringing in. How do we make that experience different? How do we make sure that um, we, we don't have the types of retention rates on new donors, whether one time or monthly, that we have had in the past? Um, you know, it's it's always a good time to make a good decision. <laughs> That's really great. Listen, thank you so much for you know being the first one out of the gate to test this with me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much to Nick Ellinger for talking to me today about donor-centric fundraising and his new book, The New Nonprofit, Six Models to Raise More Money. You can find Nick's bio and links to buy his book in the show notes of this episode over at goodfundraising.net slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a topic, please email me at hello at goodfundraising.net. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, be nice and do good out there.